This reading is from Micah chapter 5. It says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from an ancient day. Therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to be here today, to be gathered um, in your church, uh, to be gathered as the people who you have called to yourself. Ask that you would open our hearts and open our minds to the word that Pastor Chad will bring to us today, and that as we go through this Christmas season, you would continue to help us to be reflections of your love, of your peace, um, and to represent you to all those around us. Give us joy and hope throughout this season, and bless our day today. In Christ's name, amen. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we'll be looking just at one verse in Luke 2, and we will find ourselves elsewhere. As I was considering the concept of peace, my mind kept coming back to this most famous work. Now, it's facing this way, so you might not be able to see the words, but by its size, this is war and peace. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the book, War and Peace. Sounds like most of you. I'm not going to ask you if you've read it, because if you raise your hand, you might be lying, right? Um, I, I want you to know that I have not read it in its entirety. I've read almost none of it. Uh, and don't, don't be misled that just because I was thinking about this book this week, I didn't decide, hey, I'm going to do a quick read through this book this week. I, I, I thought about this book because of the title, right? It's this famous, like, uh, opposites, war and peace. War is, in my mind at least, it's the opposite of peace. Every good beauty pageant participant that gets asked what they want for the world always answers peace, Right? They don't say, I hope for war. I hope, no, we, we want peace. War is where death happens. Violence, rage, fear, worry, anger, doubt, control, pride. All of these things happen in war. But the idea is that it shouldn't happen in peace. Interestingly, if you have read any of War and Peace, or if you have read it, actually, you find out that although a large portion of this massive book does focus on war, Tolstoy, the author, 
constantly emphasizes these irrational motives for human behavior in both war and peace. That when we are supposed to be at peace, we're still trying to control things. Anger still gets in the way. Rage, fear, worry, doubt, even when we're not at physical war. The, the title, in fact, wasn't always War and Peace. It's unknown even why Tolstoy really changed the name. But nonetheless, war and peace should feel like opposites. It seems that Tolstoy is saying that just because we are not at physical war doesn't mean we're at actual peace. So what is peace, right? It's not just not war. What is it? I would argue, my, my definition is that peace is the stabilizing good news that is found in the presence of God. I'll say that again for us. Peace is the stabilizing good news that is found in the presence of God. So that's why in Luke chapter 2, when the angels come before the shepherds and they're going to tell them, hey, there's someone you need to go meet, right? Here's what they say in this, the, the, the angel says, right, to the, to the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Can you imagine then being one of the shepherds on the hillside that day, hearing peace has come? Not necessarily because there was a, a war raging around them, but just to hear, hey, peace. We want to we give glory to God, the one who brings peace, the one who sends peace. Isaiah 9, this famous uh, prophetic word about Jesus. For to us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, that's not just like a um, uh, like catchy way to say it because both Prince and Peace start with the letter P. It was not written in English, right? But listen to verse 7 after that. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Why would, why would the angels proclaim peace in this way? In fact, every time the angels seem to show up, what do they say first? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Right? Like they're having to, because everybody that comes in contact with an angel seems to be scared. Rightfully so, I would assume. Why would Isaiah be prophesying that peace is coming? We need peace. I think we know that, generally speaking, especially when we contrast it with war, we would rather have peace. But the Bible is filled with our reasons that we need it. And I'm going to focus on just a few of those today. 
You know, Tolstoy knew we needed peace in 1869 when he wrote this work. But the world needed peace long before Tolstoy. Hippies wanted peace in 1969. But the world has needed peace ever since then as well. Because the world has needed peace ever since the fall. So, what are our needs? Like, what, How is this demonstrated to us in Scripture? We're going to be in a few different passages today, somewhat like we were last week. And so I, I hope that at least you will write the, many of these down, uh, stemming from this concept of peace that I hope we can gain a greater, fuller understanding of. You see, we need to be stabilized, right? If, if peace is the stabilizing good news that is found in the presence of God, we need to be stabilized. The reason I say that is because we're not good at stabilizing ourselves. We are an unstable people. I mean, the, we... You might even be thinking, what kind of Christmas message is this, Chad? You're literally standing in front of me telling me I'm unstable. Yes, I am. I know that doesn't sound very loving, but I could be saying it to myself as well. We're, we're not stable. I mean, come on. We know this, right? Some of us are more than others. Some of us more often than others. Some of us have short fuses without any patience. That's not stable. Some of us are too often worried about our bank accounts or how the economy is going or how our kids are going to make it. That's not stable. Some of us are often, too often worried about uh, the fear of government takeover or fear of death or fear that our boss is going to walk in and tell us that we are out of a job or we fear that we're going to get bad news from the doctor. All of that means that we're unstable. Even our bodies are unstable. Our mind plays tricks on us. Our heart stops beating in quite the right way. We aren't able to stand the same or sleep the same. You know, that's when you know you're getting older, when you're sore from sleeping. And you're laughing because it's happened to you. Right? Like, that's, that's, that's instability. We have to have medicine for all kinds of things, everything from high blood pressure to too much sugar to not enough insulin to hypertension or, or, or right? Like, unstable, whatever that thing is. Tempers, lack of patience, worry, fear, doubt, physical, emotional, mental, all of these things remind us that we are not stable. But good thing, there is one who is stable. You see, we see in Scripture that the Lord is our rock. A rock Psalm 62 tells us this even a, a couple different times. He alone is my rock and my fortress, my salvation. I shall not be greatly shaken. It says that very thing again. It says it verse 2 and verse 6. He alone, he only is my rock and my salvation. 
By design, these passages of Scripture tell us that the immovable one is the Lord. The stable one is the Lord. I think maybe too often when I think of just the word rock, I think of more like pebble-sized that I can pick up and skip across the creek. This, this type of rock that is being described here is the kind of rock that Jesus uses when he says, build your house upon a rock, not on sand, right? He's talking about not just a pebble, not just like uh, something you can skip across the water. No, he's speaking of like the sturdy foundation. I have a feeling that if you for, are from around here, your house has had some foundation issues. This house has had them, right? We, we, have, we have to like dig down way deeper and put up all kinds of underground columns so that we can not shift, right? We're trying to get to what? We're trying to get to the, the hardest, strongest, sturdiest surface and what the Lord is saying of himself in his word is that he's that sturdy surface. That you don't have to have columns on top of him. You stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ. So guess what happens when Jesus, who is God in the flesh, comes to us? He says, I'm bringing stabilizing presence. The rock is coming. Not only is the rock coming, did the rock come in Jesus? The Lord is our rock and the Lord is our guide. You see, we don't want, just want the Lord to be a strong and protective force like a rock and a fortress. We actually need him to stabilize us by guiding us. We need to, know how to make it through each step of the day. Psalm 16, verse 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. He is at my right hand is describing that you are holding his hand. Right? Right? Not just that he's nearby and that you can kind of hear him. It's, it's that he's actually holding your hand like, a, like you grab your child or your grandchild's hand before you go into the parking lot. Why is it that you do that? Because a child has a tendency of making their own way through the parking lot. So you're, a, you're concerned that they'll get hit by a car, right? So you grab their hand and you, you hold it with them. Well, then imagine our Heavenly Father, who sees us not walking into a parking lot, but sees us walking into life. He would grab our hand. Then, no, you can't go there. <laughs> you can't go there without me. Because you're not looking for the cars. Think about the assurance that this has to have, that we have a guide for us. Kids, uh, I often... Uh, get you to draw something. So, hey, boys and girls, I want you to do this. Draw a picture of your family. I, I see you draw pictures of your family oftentimes, but this time, I want you to draw this picture of your family holding 
hands. Like you're in a, a kind of a chain together. Everybody, mom and dad, brother and sister, whoever it is, everybody's holding hands. So draw a picture and remember that in the same way that, that you are holding your parents' hands, that the Lord holds our hands. I want you to imagine with me, uh, you're at a 100-yard football field, okay? Everybody got that? And you're on one end zone, and your, your goal is to, get it, is to get yourself to the other end zone. Everybody picture that? You got a field. The problem is you're blindfolded, and you have to get from one end of the field to the other, and in the field is landmines. That seems like a greater problem now, right? And they're flagged. So all across the field, there are these flags for like showing exactly where the landmine is. Now, here are your options for the ways that you can get across the field. One, you can press your luck and you can make your way across the field without any assistance. You can't see the landmines. You can't see the flags that are marking the landmines. You just have to hope that you can make it to the other side. That's option one. Option two, again, you're still blindfolded, but someone can stand on the other side of the field who is not blindfolded and can yell instructions to you, telling you to take a step right or take a step left. They can, they can see the flags and the mines, but they cannot come to you. They can only use their voice. And for some of you, they better be real loud. Or option three, a guide who is not blindfolded can come take you step by step through that same field. They will hold you hand in hand, making sure that you do not step on any mine, stopping your feet from actually stepping on the flag or too close, right? Which one of those would you choose? One, two, or three? Three. If you did not choose three, you are unstable, <laughs> right? Right, like this is, this is the thing. Like we choose three, we want, like, hey, and yet so often we do not accept the guide that is provided for us. We walk through the minefield of life, blindfolded. And we're not looking to God's word and we're certainly not listening to his voice. You see, sometimes we will take the time on a Sunday like you are doing right now and you'll show up and you'll come in this room and you'll go into life group and you'll hope that this preacher is yelling loud enough to and clear enough that you are hoping to hear his voice, my voice, the rest of the week, that it'll carry you through. And if I just will speak loud enough now that it'll carry you through Thursday night, Friday night. But what is the best? The best is if we will each day take the hand of our Savior and allow him to walk us through these everyday types of challenges without fear or worry or doubt, simply trusting that he will guide us in perfect stability. Because peace 
is the stabilizing good news that is found in the presence of God. This is what is offered in Jesus. We need stabilizing. And we need good news. Don't we need good news? I mean, uh, watch the news long enough, you might, you might really need some good news. Because there's a lot of news out there. What, what makes something news is that something has happened. Literally, anything has happened can be considered news. Like it's something happened. For it to be good news, something good has had to have happened. And we have the good news. I often call this uh, the goodest news. Right, you... Scripture even at times describes this as the, the good gospel, which is like a double positive, which is why I feel freedom to make up the word goodest and say that this is the goodest news of all time. See, what the gospel does is the gospel grounds us. Right? Think, think back to this idea of, of stabilizing rock that it's, it's sturdy for us. But if you look at, at Ephesians, we were just studying in Ephesians, so I, I thought we would go back to Ephesians. In chapter six, we see the armor of God, right? Helmet of salvation, breast, breastplate, shield of faith, sword of the spirit, right? Belt of truth. Guess what's on our feet, right? Shoes for your feet, having been put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The good news of peace. So here's what type of shoe that would have been used specifically when describing like an armor uh, in the same sort of battle mentality, okay? We would think of it much more like a cleat. What you you get for your uh, kids who are playing sports, right? So they can grip on the field, uh, not, not like this fake field turf stuff. I'm talking about like the real grass field, right? And, and on the bottom of those cleats, right, it's like all these little knobs. They're, they're, the football ones are different than the soccer ones, than the football ones. And then the, right, uh, the baseball ones, I don't even know how or why they are different, but they are. But each, th- those things, what are they intended to do? To help like, keep you grounded so that you don't just slip and fall all over the grass. That's the idea, right? Running through a football field with uh, with tennis shoes, flat-soled, it's going to be a problem. You're going to slip and fall. So what the gospel does, according to this, it's even intended that your, your shoes, your feet are going to be grounded, sturdier, because you've been given the gospel of peace. You're stable steady, not wavering, not slipping and falling all over the field. So the gospel, the good news, the thing that has changed us from inside out, the thing that has taken us from death to life, this new life has so drastically changed us that it grounds us, it sturdies us. 
But it is also this gospel that compels us. It is the gospel, this good news that's still surrounding our feet. Why? Why is, why is the gospel so connected to our feet? I mean, think about it. Both in, in Romans chapter 10, we saw it in Ephesians 6 already. In Romans 10, it says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, what? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's a quote from the book of Isaiah 52. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes what? Who publishes peace who bring good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. From eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together in singing. You waste your waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. How is all the nations supposed to see the salvation of our God? With our beautiful feet. The gospel compels us to take this peace-filled good news to a war-torn world. You, you, if you're wondering if this is for you, when I say you, I'm thinking of you. You must do, you, believer, must do the individual, personal work of sharing the gospel of peace. It's on you. You, you cannot rely on me to do your gospel sharing. You cannot rely on your life group leader to do your gospel sharing. You know who your neighbor is? Your neighbor, not mine. You know who your coworker is? Your coworker. And unless you work here, they're not my coworker. These are put in your field, in your sphere of influence. And we say at Christmas that we want peace on earth, goodwill to men. Are you offering it? Are you, are you, are you compelled by the peace that you've been given to take it to those who don't know it? You say, I don't really know if they have it or not. Just have a 15-minute conversation with them, and you'll find out if they're peaceful or not. Consider all of those that are not feeling peace right now in the world. I mean, you can think about those that are close to you, but we can think about people that are much further away. People of Iran right now? I don't know if you've done any looking at that. The people of Iran right now are drastically without peace. Everybody's eyes are on Qatar right now, the World Cup. There's a lot of lack of peace in Qatar. We should be using things like these kind of cultural awarenesses to draw our hearts and minds to those people who live in Qatar, who aren't just there for a soccer match, football game. What are you doing in this season 
to share the good news with those you know. This is the time, by the way, that people will are, are far more inclined to accept your kind gesture. They're, they're way more inclined to accept your invitation to church. So use, use this time to share the good news that Christmas is more than just Santa Claus and gifts and food and family. It's about a true peace that comes from the gift of Jesus Christ. Right? Peace is the stabilizing good news that is found in the presence of God. Ultimately, we need to be stabilized. We need good news. But ultimately, we need the presence of God. Right? That's the aim. In fact, it was so clearly the aim that we have we have different names of God, names of Jesus, in fact, because of our clear need for him. We have the name Emmanuel, God with us, because we need his presence. We need to be reminded that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? Because we need his presence presence. We're most rightfully, most comforted and and even charged and told to dwell with him. Why? Because we need his presence so that we will be at peace. When we're told of eternity, as we've talked about before, when we're told of eternity, probably, probably the best part, not probably, the best part about it is that the dwelling place of God is with man and with God with his people with us, like that is what we look for, long for, is his presence. We need, I cannot express this enough, we need the presence of God. See, the basis for our peace is his presence. And we can still have this today. When the book of John speaks of the Holy Spirit, Describes him in verse 20, uh, John 14, 26, as the helper. Jesus says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In other translations, sometimes they translate that word helper as comfort. We actually, we don't just get like the money from the bank. We get the bank. We don't just get some comfort. We get the comforter. We don't just get some help. We get the helper himself. How about a peace that passes all understanding? You know what that looks like? That looks like inexplainable peace. You know, when that, that is seen and described most often is when things around us in our life circumstance, in our life situation are troubled. 
when we are having hardship in our marriage, but we're at peace with God. When we are having trouble at work, but we're at peace with God. When we are uh, having difficulty because of sickness or illness, but we're at peace with God. When a loved one dies, but we have peace that passes all understanding. When the world looks at us and says, how are you making it? And we say, I have peace with God. It doesn't mean we don't have grief. It doesn't mean we don't have sadness. It doesn't mean we don't have sorrow. It means that even in the midst of all the hard, we still have peace. While I was in college, I did um, an internship as a hospital chaplain. Uh, I was, it was probably, I guess, most during that time that I learned the significance of presence just being with someone. I was assigned the seventh floor, and each day I was to make myself available to the patients for prayer and conversation for any person that was staying in any one of those rooms. And I remember very distinctly walking into a room as I was only 21 years old and offering to pray with a patient. Now, to be clear, I had never met this patient before up until that very moment. They quickly took me up on my offer. As I stood by their bed and began to pray, they immediately grabbed my hand as I prayed over them. When I said amen, the patient looked up at me and, and just kind of explained why they grabbed my hand. He said, I, I grabbed your hand because it's good to know that someone is present here with me. It's good to feel your presence. You ever feel that way? Just good to know that someone is there with you. I want to tell some of you today that are sad because your person that used to hold your hand and just be present with you, it's no longer with us. Maybe, maybe it is that you wish that you had that person and you don't yet have them. Or maybe your person has hurt you and their presence is no longer comforting. I, I want all of you to please hear me. We love you. We, we grieve with you. We weep with you. And as your church, we, we want to be present with you. So we want to come hold your hand. Literally, if that's what you need, we want to be that. As the family of God, we want to be present with you in your sadness. But also hear this. Hear this clearly. Child of God, the Lord is with you. His presence is real. Do not believe the enemy that tells you there is no one to hold your hand. The Lord your God is 
with you. Enjoy his presence as he, his hand is much better to hold than mine or any of ours. I, I want you to know that we are here, but his presence is even better. See, the basis for our peace is his presence and the existence of our peace is permanent. The, the peace that he offers is forever. It's, it doesn't stop. First Peter tells us that if we cast all of our anxieties, cast all of our cares on him, that this is what we should do. And he says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. We don't just cast our cares on him because he's strong enough or powerful enough, mighty enough, wise enough. It's because he cares enough. We lay all of our worries and fears and anxieties. We lay down all of our war in front of the Lord Jesus Christ because he cares for his people. He cares for you. He cares for me. We, we give him our instability. We give him our worries. We give him our cancer. We give him our sickness. We give him our marriage. We give him our children. We give him our parents. We give him our mean classmates. We give him our brokenness. We give him over and over and over. And we do this because he cares for us, not just now, not just in this present moment, not just today, but he cares for us for all of eternity. And that's why he's giving us a new heaven and a new earth. Because he says, I'm going, to, I'm, going to I'm going to give you my presence and your peace. To that peace, there will be no end. In fact, the offering of our peace is through trust. See, we actually have to trust him to give us such peace. We have to believe in him. This famous proverb, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make, your, make straight your paths. Right? You see, our own understanding, not stable. We've already just said that we need him to guide us through the minefield, right? So why wouldn't we want him to make straight our paths? Why wouldn't we trust in him then to guide us, guard us, protect us, be our rock and our fortress? You see, peace is the stabilizing good news that is found in the presence of God. So I ask you, do you trust him? Do you trust him? Some of you today might hear uh, a message like this and for you, uh, reality is that you haven't trusted him. You haven't believed on him. You've heard of him. You have knowledge of him. You're aware of him. 
You even understand the real meaning of Christmas, but you've never trusted him. I'm going to ask you today to turn away from your instable, your unstable, your, your imbalanced, your yourself. Turn away from your sin and yourself and your stuff and trust in Jesus, the one and only way of peace. Trust in him. You can do that right where you sit, but maybe you have questions. Maybe there's stuff that, that isn't at war in front of you, but it's at war in your heart and in your mind. And you, you need someone to talk through some of that with. In just a moment, to my left, there will be some people in this room that would love to talk with you. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to pray that God would give you that peace. So just when, when we stand to sing, just make your way to this room and, and ask some of those questions. How do, I, how do I get that? How do I trust in Jesus this way? But for the rest of us who know him, who have trusted him? Isn't there too many times that we've tried to pick something back up? We casted all our cares. We, we put them all down before him. But then we, we, in our sin, think, you know what, I probably should just handle that myself. We, we pick it back up. Then we end up worrying more about it than we were worrying before. We try to handle it ourselves in our own understanding in our own unstable way. No. May today be that reminder that we gotta lay it all down and not try to pick it back up. His peace, His peace passes all understanding. His presence removes fear and doubt and worry because we trust in him. Would you stand with me as we respond to the Lord?